the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, Saints. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. We're talking about uh, suffering. Suffering again, part two. And it's not a topic that uh, people like to hear. It's not something that's easily digested. And it's very difficult. Some of the things that we're going to tell you, they're going to rock your boat. It's not common knowledge that suffering is a huge part of Christianity. And when I tell you the origins of suffering, like I did last week, when I tell you God's view on suffering, let me give you the foundation scripture found in Philippians one twenty nine. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. It is a given. And the Amplified says, For you have been granted the privilege for Christ's sake, not only to believe and confidently trust in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So you throw that out there on a Sunday morning and your congregation starts moaning. But at the end of the day, suffering has an important role to play in Christendom. It is the way that God makes you worthy for entry into his kingdom. Hallelujah. You want that scripture? That scripture was found over in Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. For the persecutions and the tribulations that you endure is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Today we're going to look at Jesus a bit, and I am going to reference this wonderful lady. I came across her actually this morning. Her name is Rebecca McLaughlin, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-A-N, McLaughlin. I think that's it. Rebecca, she wrote the book, Confronting Christianity, and I've just been astounded by uh, the topic when she talked about suffering. It's just caught my attention. I think it'll bless you. It'll give you a really good insight and some wisdom into the role that suffering plays in our life. So we talked about last week, I gave you the Tozier quote about going into the deeper life of God and just understand there's different ways of approaching God, but none of them, none of them will allow you to bypass suffering for his sake. I've got a scripture today. We'll start with Acts 5, verse 41. Uh, The disciples, they were preaching Jesus back in the early church. They were suffering on a great scale. If you were Jewish, you were persecuted by the Jews and by the Romans. You were just persecuted by everybody if you were a Jew. And Acts 5, 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So we see that they were preaching Jesus. Uh, Let's see, this is... Paul and Peter, I believe. It's the apostles. I don't know whether they were named here or not, but look at the apostles of the early church. They were rejoicing in the fact that they got to suffer for Jesus. 
You know, it points to me how far we truly are from real Christianity. I cannot begin to say how far we are. From last month, we learned about the judgments of God, and now both in the church and in the world, we talked about the judgments of God. Now we're talking about suffering for Jesus. It's amazing the damage that our false doctrines have done to the church, to the church body. I feel in my own life like I'm having to unlearn every bit as much as I'm having to learn. You know, Lord, forgive me for where I have been, what I have done to misrepresent you. Lord, fix me. Fix us, O Lord, as a body that we may know you correctly as we should and use us in this environment, this current environment in America where apostasy is rampant, where people are making up all sorts of uh, visions of who they think God is without going back to the Bible to understand it. It's important to note that these apostles not only suffered shame and mental anguish, but they were physically tormented as well. So much for the doctrine that Christians only suffer spiritually or mentally, and we are spared from physical suffering. That's just not true. Uh, Marshall writes, we have a concrete example right here of the rejoicing and suffering, which should be the hallmark of the Christian when he's under persecution. The concrete example right here is that they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were rejoicing. The Greek word there is chiro, C-H-I-R-O. It means cheer. It means fall, calmly, happy, or well off. The apostles had the attitude as they went back to their group with their backs bruised and broken from the whips of their tormentors that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. I know in America, we do everything we can to avoid any suffering, any persecution. And our teaching, in, at least in my circle, the Word of Faith circle, lines up with that. Uh, they talk about the fact that uh, whatever Jesus took on the cross, you don't have to bear. Well, Jesus suffered on the cross, therefore, which is ridiculous. Okay, he went to hell for me. I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you, Lord. That's what the cross accomplished. But I am supposed to be associated with the sufferings of Christ. That's what Paul says over and over and over again. Rejoicing in the Greek, Cairo, and it's calmly, happily, well-off, cheerful. Uh, Of interesting note is that their suffering, which they did, it's actually identified. They suffered shame for the name of Jesus. You know, that means probably they were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were cursed for using the name of Jesus, for praying in the name of Jesus, for casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And it is for that which they had suffered, their beating. You know, there are many ways in which we can deny Christ in America. Not being willing to suffer shame for being associated with the name is one of them, but they wouldn't have any of that. Yet every day in America we do it. Preaching on faith, but not preaching on suffering is one way. Preaching on favor, but not preaching on judgment is another. You mean to tell me, Ron, that God, Jesus Christ, the head of his church, hasn't felt the need to give messages on judgment and suffering to his pastors in America? Well, you know, we read in a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, when we talked about the seven churches, we talked about the fact that these messages, God gave the message to the Anglos or the ministry leader in the church. They were divine messages that God gave to them to read to the congregation. God gives messages to the church to give to the congregation. And according to what I've been hearing in America lately, God doesn't give the message of suffering. God doesn't give the message that he's judging us. We don't get those messages here in America. I know man's gotten in the way. I know we don't want to talk about that. That's just us in our carnality, us in our pride. The church in America doesn't need that. 
We must quit copying the world. They go high, then we need to go low. When they say take, we need to give. When they say quit, we need to fight. When they say hate, we need to love. They say shut down. They say close, we need to stay open. When they say hide, we need to run too. When they say live, then we need to die. Endless are the pathways of faith that will bring you to Christ Jesus. But they all are common. They come by faith. You cannot come to God, oh, how shall I say it, in fearful hiding in a, in a kind that you recognize that you are full of pride and your fear is what's keeping you from acknowledging the things that you need in Christ. You know, we see it all the time. Pride is one of the greatest enemies of mankind. And naturally, pride comes before the fall because if you're full of pride concerning anything, God's going to bring you down. Because he hates you? Because he wants to punish you? No, because he loves you and he wants you the way he needs you to be so that you can do your part in the kingdom of God. Hebrews 5.8, though he were a son, yet Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I want to read this. Her name is Rebecca McLaughlin, and she wrote a book. It's called Confronting Christianity, and it's really good. And she's got some great quotes in here. Let me see if I can pick them out. Recognizing that the role of suffering in our relationship with Christ helps us to see through a common misconception about suffering from the Christian perspective. We are tempted to believe that suffering is a punishment for sin. But the Bible is clear that while sin and suffering are clearly connected in a universal sense and living in rebellion against God can cause us heartache now, the amount of suffering a person endures is not proportional to his or her sin. The Old Testament book of Job dramatizes this point. Jesus reinforces it. And in John's gospel, Jesus encounters a man who was blind from birth and his disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus replied, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus healed the man. This teaching that our suffering is not related to any punishment or what we've done in a prior life, like uh, Buddhism or where karma, uh, we come back as different things based on what type of life we lived. With that logic, our present circumstances then would be the result of past actions and sin is held accountable for to pass on to us. And yet that's just not the way God does things in Christianity. Indeed, if anything, Christianity reverses that paradigm, she writes, that the things that we suffered earlier, no, 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 that we are living in privilege now, we are warned of an afterlife which has the suffering if we do not repent. God, I know I made that confusing. I apologize. Okay, what she is trying to say is that in Christianity, what we live now in privilege, included with the warnings that we receive from the Bible, Talk about the suffering in an afterlife. And Christianity now affords you to live in peace and victory, grace and harmony with God. Truth be told, those who suffer now are closest to God's heart. This dynamic is explored in one of Jesus's most uncomfortable parables. It's a story where the poor man was in heaven and Lazarus was in hell. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. You know, biblically speaking, we cannot adhere to the false teaching that because God loves us, he has no intention of letting us suffer or allowing us to suffer. That is just false. You know, the Bible is too full of examples that counter that. Simply put, that isn't true at all. Prophet after prophet, saint after saint, 
went through all different types of suffering and tribulation. You know, the Bible simply doesn't conform to that kind of logic, you know, that there's inescapable peace, that we're not held accountable for sin in our lives, that suffering is for other people, suffering isn't for the body of Christ, suffering isn't for the church, and that's just not true. Time after countless time, we see that scenario played out until ultimately you have Christ on the cross. We think that God's love, uh, what's the word, protects us or inhibits us from having to go through the sufferings in life. And there's nothing could be further from the truth. Think this through. Jesus Christ, God's son, you know Jesus was loved by God. And yet, what did God do with Jesus? God sent his own son on the cross. Sin did not put him there. Love did not put him there. God put Jesus, his own son, on the cross to suffer. He did that for him to suffer the penalty for our sins. I get that. But it was God who put him there. What makes us think that we will not have to go through the same suffering that Christ did? We are supposed to be partakers, actually, of the same sufferings of Christ. We have to change the way we think about this. Many preachers say that we suffer emotionally and we suffer anguish of spirit, but we don't have to suffer physically. That would be great news to the apostles. Eleven of the twelve were killed. They lost their life through physical suffering. It's important to understand the God of the Bible, not the God that we've reinvented, not the God that we've made so that we could have an easier life down here. The life down here isn't about ease. Life down here is about living a holy life. And God uses the things that we suffer to bring us into glory. He uses the things that we suffer to prove to us that we are worthy for life in the kingdom. Listen, this is so important. You've got to know. You know that God loves Jesus, and you know that God himself chose to send Jesus to the cross to suffer. If he did that, how can any Bible-believing Christian think that we will not be called to suffer also? Second Thessalonians 1.5, New Living Translation, and God will use this persecution that the Thessalonians were going through. God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you also suffer. Remember the scripture, we are privileged to suffer for him. Christ on the cross eliminates our need to pay our own penalties for sin. Amen. But it does not, Christ on the cross does not remove us from the privilege of joining in his suffering. God is wisdom. He left that for us. He knows that we need it to be made worthy for his kingdom. And it's all about our future life with him. It's so important that we get to understand that. People often think that the reality of suffering is an embarrassment to the Christian faith. But, Rebecca writes, I think suffering is the greatest apologetic for Christianity that there is. Basically, what she's saying is if you're going to make a case for Christianity, you need to start with the basis and from the point of suffering. From an atheist perspective, not only is there no hope of a better end to the story of life, there is no ultimate story, there is no hope. Yet, from a Christian perspective, there is not only hope for a better ending, there is intimacy now with the one whose resurrected hands still bear the scars of the nails that pinned him to the cross. And I love this. Suffering is not an embarrassment to the Christian faith. It is the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into our lives. I love that. Let me read that again. You got to get this. Suffering is not an embarrassment to the Christian life. It is the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into our own very lives. 
The original version of humanity was very good, Adam and Eve in the garden, but it was not the best. The best from a biblical perspective was yet to come. And the way to get there would be through suffering. You must go through suffering to experience the glory of God. Hebrews 5, 8. Jesus, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he also suffered. Suffering is a teacher. Did you hear that? Suffering is a teacher. Jesus had to learn obedience by the things that he suffered. You know, the Holy Spirit just could have told him. But no, God chose suffering to teach Jesus obedience. And guess what, saying of God? He is choosing suffering to teach you obedience. Our desire should be to be identified with Christ in as many ways as possible. Amen? Well, sometimes we do it. Other times God does it for us. Just like Jesus, we too are sons. We think our sonship with the Father affords us great favor and divine opportunities, and it does. But please, it does not negate the responsibility of that sonship. There are things that Jesus had to learn. Well, there are things that we have to learn. Jesus had to learn obedience. We have to learn obedience. The method that God chose to teach Jesus what obedience looked like, how obedience acted, was to have him suffer. Now, for those who think God doesn't want us grace kids to suffer, what do we do with those scriptures? We want to be like Jesus, and yet Jesus had to learn something by the things that he suffered. What? We just throw out that verse? We don't need it anymore? Is it a mistake? The scripture is clear. God had to teach Jesus obedience, and he used suffering to do it. Spurgeon writes, Sonship did not exempt the Lord Jesus Christ from suffering, and neither will it exempt us. 1 Peter 2.21, I want to show you that suffering is a calling. What? What did he say? Yes, suffering is a calling. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus left us an example which we were to follow. Here it's written that the example is his suffering. Peter says we are called to this suffering. It gets lost when we count up the callings of God. I mean, we know that God calls pastors to lead churches. We know that God calls evangelists. He calls apostles. He calls people to the medical field. He calls people to government service. But let's not forget, we are all called to suffer. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must prove your worthiness. And God tests your worthiness by allowing you, by calling you to suffer for his son's sake. It is a necessary component to bringing us into glory. Without it, we're never going to get there. Commentator Wurst, W-U-E-S-T, explains it this way. Little wonder that most of the booklets on God's promises don't include this promise. In fact, as Paul taught the saints at Thessalonica, forewarned is forearmed. And so what Wurst was saying is the promises of God, there's a promise right here that we're called to suffer. But you know those little promise books that you get with God's promises for this and God's promise for that? You won't find them in there where we're called to suffer. And that's a promise of God. Thessalonians 3, verses 3 through 4, that no man should be moved by these current afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed to these afflictions. For truly, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation and even as it came to pass that you know also. Paul is letting them know when he was with them, he warned them, hey man, I'm going to suffer for you and I want you to know, don't be surprised by it. By the way, 
you're going to suffer also. And it's important that you know, I am warning you. That's all we do in our radio show. That's all that we do in our Facebook post. That's all that we're doing in our Bible studies. We're preparing you for the tribulation that is coming. We're making sure that you are prepared for the rapture, which you will be taken out from the tribulation that is coming. But we are giving you the truths that have been left off. Preachers don't talk about judgment. Therefore, we filled in the void. We gave you the scriptures on judgment to show you that we are required to judge ourselves every day. Uh, preachers don't talk about the judgments of God that are in the earth, whether it's COVID, whether it's 911, whether it's Katrina, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's AIDS. We are giving you the warnings that God has given us so that when these things come, you are prepared and hopefully they will bring you to repentance. The Bible says when God's judgments are in the earth, the nations will learn righteousness. There were things that Jesus had to learn. We have to learn those same things. We don't want you to be upset. We don't want you to be scared. We don't want you to be intimidated by the things that are going on in the earth. You must learn about them. But, you know, we've spoken about uh, suffering for two weeks, and I think I've made the case that you're called to suffer, that it's a privilege, it's a Christian right, it's a Christian given for you to suffer. Suffering is designed to bring you closer to God, to prove to you you are worthy of entrance into the kingdom of God. Suffering is a privilege. Suffering is a gift from God. Well, all that's pretty good, but let me give you a bit of reward right here about the suffering. Let me try to leave you with a promise from Paul about the wonder of suffering. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Suffering is not only a teacher, but suffering is a worker also. When we try to avoid afflictions, when we try to avoid sufferings, when we try to avoid tribulations, it leaves us wanting in our Christian makeup, in our Christ-like makeup. Not only that, but we miss out on the promises that are associated with going through these ordeals. When we get to the other side, there's glory. Here, Paul calls the problems that we face light afflictions. Now, man, you're going to love this. Light afflictions. Let's see what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 7. Paul says, light afflictions. But I have served him, Jesus, far more. I have worked harder. I have been put in jail, a light affliction. I have been whipped times without number, light affliction. I have faced death again and again and again. That's at least three times Paul faced death. He called that a light affliction. Five different times the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Paul got 195 lashes, light affliction. Three times I was beaten with rods, more light affliction. Once I was stoned, being stoned, it kills people, light affliction. Three times I was shipwrecked. Nice, light affliction. Once I was in the open sea all night and the whole next day. I have traveled many weary miles. I have been often in great danger from flooded rivers, from robbers, from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I have faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the deserts and in the stormy seas and from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not traitors. Light affliction. All of these. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. And often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Hmm. Light afflictions. But they worked for him and they were only for a moment. He came out of every single one of them. But they're at work in you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. These things are working in you. They are creating a future glory 
for you. That's what suffering does. And look at us. The government said close the churches and we bowed and kowtowed to what they told us to do because we were scared. By not teaching verses and passages like this, we have created a Christian in America that while being equipped with God's best is ill-prepared to face Satan's worst. That must change and it's got to change now. Otherwise, not understanding God's judgment or Satan's persecutions is just going to be the least of our problems in the coming days. I am trying to prepare you for what's ahead. Actually, it's happening already. I've got friends that are losing their jobs because they're not willing to take the vaccine. And you shouldn't either. It's not a vaccine. It is an experiment in gene replacement therapy. I just read the article today that uh, four times as many people who took the vaccine are dying than people who did not take the vaccine. That means basically if you had 25 people who died from COVID, you've got 100 people that have died from the vaccine. You need to be aware of what's happening in our nation. So I'm trying to prepare you for tribulation if you get stuck being here or for the rapture. If God in his grace takes you home before that happens, you must know what the Bible says about suffering. You must know what the Bible says about judgment. I'm praying for you guys. We believe in God for your very best that you would know him, like Paul writes, and the power of his resurrection and partaking in the fellowship of his suffering. We love you. God's best to you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.